The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. Oxley Chamberlain dicted. Ramsdale came, didn't get there. And Minamino has missed Liverpool's first big chance of the game. So definitely no magic under the lights at Anfield. Liverpool couldn't create another spectacle to remember. It was a strong side, of course it was, but not many positives to take from the first leg of the League Cup semi-final. We need a big one in London next week. I'm Steve Hothersall. This is The Red Agenda with James Pearce and top commentator John Bradley as well. Delighted to welcome along to uh, today's um, podcast. Uh, James, it's wasn't the night, the occasion, the, the performance that you hoped for when, when Liverpool have a final in sight? Very flat, very frustrating, wasn't it? I think um, we'd seen it before already this season where Liverpool have, have struggled against 10 men and um, there were parallels with that second half against Chelsea. What was that, back in late in late August? Despite at the time it feeling like a, a massive boost to Liverpool, Granit Xhaka is is brainless deed in chopping down Diogo Jota as he did, you know, bizarrely actually went on probably to help Arsenal more than it helped Liverpool because Arsenal sat in, you know, they they, they didn't show any ambition really whatsoever and um and Liverpool found it incredibly difficult to break them down and um it was a bleak performance all round, I thought, you know, lacking in midfield, complete, you know, devoid of any spark or guile or creativity. Dominated possession, I think seventy-eight percent of the ball. Yet, you know, we had to wait until the ninety-second minute for for Ramsdale to actually be forced into making the save through uh, Curtis Jones. So, um, so yeah, I think you have to put it in the context of as Klopp said himself. He's right; it is only half time. Any damage that was done can easily be rectified next Thursday night at the Emirates. But um, yeah, if Liverpool are going to march on to Wembley, they're going to have to do a lot better than that. Brad has um, nothing like making your debut on the pod after the performance like that. <laughs> it, it wasn't what the manager was hoping for, was it? And and yet it was a really strong lineup, as strong as he could have gone. Yeah, I think it surprised most people when they saw the Liverpool team sheet with the amount of false positives they had last week. I think that you know the, the feeling was that quite a few players probably could do with a game. They'd not trained for a couple of days as well. But it still certainly staggered me when I saw the strength of the Liverpool side, given the players that, that have done so well to get them to the semi-final. But uh, as JP says, as you say, you know, on the night it was uh, it was a little flat. And Liverpool actually had some momentum really building up just before the, the Shaka sending off. And, and that just changed it, took the life out of the game. And, you know, I mean, I think the, the most disappointing thing about it was is that, that Arsenal had Alba Laconga. Uh, who was their only central midfielder left available to them with the injuries and and the availability of players, uh, you know, obviously at the uh, African Cup of Nations and so forth, that they ended up with a midfield three of, uh, what, Martinelli, uh, Saka and Laconga with five at the back and, and, and Liverpool couldn't break them down and couldn't find their way through. Oh, it, was, it was desperately disappointing and, you know, it could have been worse if, if Saka takes that chance... You know, Arsenal nick a goal as well. So, you know, Liverpool were certainly indebted to Alisson if they have been before. But there's always that concern, isn't there, when you see a game like that, 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 you know, you worry about what's ahead. But, you know, obviously people will focus on the absence of of Salah and Mane. But, you know, it's unlikely they're probably playing the League Cup anyway. But uh, it's a game that cried out for Thiago, isn't it? 
you know, you needed his passing, you need his, his vision, you need his guile to break the lines. No one else was uh, capable of doing that really last night. Well, well, let's talk about that midfield then. Was it just too similar? I mean, Fabinho, Henderson, Milner, it looked like it needed just a bit more creativity, a bit more zip about that midfield, James, particularly when Arsenal went down to 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that was the thing. I didn't have a massive problem when I saw the team sheet drop, even though I thought either Oxlade or Curtis Jones would start. But I, yeah, I, th- I thought Klopp was slow to change it. I think once once they went down to ten, and certainly at half time, I thought uh, I, you know, <laughs> I said to someone, I'd be amazed if both Henderson and Milner come out for the second half because you just thought you, you don't need both of them in that midfield when the dynamic had shifted like it had done, where the game was effectively attack against defence. And I think, what does he leave it to just past the hour mark before we saw Curtis Jones for Milner? So yeah, I think that didn't didn't help matters. Do you know what? It was it was just a night where I don't think the team functioned well in any department really. But probably Allison aside, because um, you know, as as John said, maybe you know maybe maybe the issues last week they had with shutting down the training ground and you know maybe the, the preparations weren't right. Maybe the you know, a lot of those players hadn't played since the Chelsea game. What was that? Eleven days earlier. So that that kind of lack of rhythm as well, um, because you you can't get away from the fact that Liverpool have lost a huge amount with Salah, Mane, and Cater away at Afcon. And as John said, you know, Thiago's injury is another one. You know, Origi. You know, you you, you missed Origi on a night like that as well, because at least Origi can can stretch defenders. But you know the the other thing was that you know Trent Alexander Arnold's just come back from about the COVID, and, and we know that without all those players, Trent becomes even more important in terms of the creativity he he gives you, and and that was probably as poorly as he's played all season. So yeah, I think the balance of the midfield didn't help, but there were certainly other issues as well. I don't think we'll ever see a game again where. Andrew Robertson and Trent will be nullified like they were and to the extent that you know normally the dead balls the corners the free kicks are so good as well that you know they were constantly hitting the first man and they never do that you know they're so good at at, at delivering the ball and they just couldn't find the delivery couldn't find spacing behind Arsenal sat very very deep bringing holding on like they did just to to almost anchor the side you know and he's had so much criticism over the last couple of years for, for the levels of his performance. And you almost waited for Arsenal to lose the the discipline and to lose the shape because that's what Arsenal do. And eventually, I mean, as we say, it took until the, what, the 90th minute for Ramsdale to, to go, you know, on a, a little bit of a walkabout and uh, and to create a chance for Liverpool. You talk about losing discipline and just go back to the, the sending off. I mean, how many chances James can Granit Xhaka get in this Arsenal side? I think he's been sent off more times for his club than any other player. Is that right? Bradders probably knows that stat. I don't know. I think Is, is he the worst culprit in any of the, the sides in the league? <laughs> he's still behind the, the leaders in the Premier League, but obviously it's his second red of, um, of this season, isn't it? So... He'll get a two-match ban. Presumably, it's going to go down as denial of a goal-scoring opportunity rather than uh, a dangerous tackle, which it was. You know, he could easily had he tackled like that anywhere on the field, he'd have probably got a red card because kicking someone in the chest, as we know, is probably a red card offence. But it'll go down as dog so, as the uh, officials like to call it. So presumably, he'll miss next week. So it leaves Arsenal again with uh, with personnel problems for the uh, for the second leg in midfield. But it's a brilliant ball. It's a brilliant run. Diogo Jota sees where the goalkeeper is, has a look at the keeper, sees Xhaka coming, and Xhaka just decides... And, and to be fair, 
they deny Liverpool a goal. And in the end, it actually turns out to be a really good red card for them because Jota squares it or scores himself or Minamino scores because he's up with him. So it actually turns into a really, really good red card because off the back of that, Arsenal got a nil-nil. Of course, they've got to finish the job next week now because they've set their stall out. It sort of baffles you, James, doesn't it, sometimes when you see a team playing with 10 and yet the team that you're supporting can't actually overcome 10 men. And particularly for that period of time as well, you ju- there's just an expectancy. Well, there certainly was in Anfield, wasn't there? Right, Liverpool step up now, you're playing 10. This is a game you should take hold of. Yeah, and, and do you know what? It was interesting listening to Klopp after when he, he talked about how he felt against 10 men, Liverpool were guilty of trying too hard because I think he, he felt that you know that psychology comes into it of, well, we cannot not beat these because we've got an extra man. But, you know, when you think like that, you make bad decisions. And we saw, you know, I, I couldn't remember a Liverpool performance, certainly not this season. You know, you're going back probably to that bleak run early in, in 2021 where Liverpool made so many careless errors and so many poor decisions. Because we have seen it time and time again, haven't we, where, you know, it is that old cliche of it being harder to play against 10 than 11. You know, it, it isn't really, but it, you know, it is if you don't approach it in the right way and Liverpool didn't approach it in the right way. The passing was too slow. It was too predictable. There was no zip to anything, was there? There was no, you know, it, until, you know, it took the introduction of Curtis Jones for someone to suddenly, you know, dribble and, you know, and run at bodies and commit players and create little pockets of space for others. You know, before that, it was too much of it was sideways, sideways, the balls into the box were, you know, the, you know, compared to the usual quality of the deliveries, were were nowhere near the level, and they just kept playing into Arsenal's hands. It was so narrow as well, you know. It, it was the, you know, they didn't didn't use the width partic- particularly well, as well drilled as Arsenal are. And I must admit, I thought I thought they showed a backbone last night. I didn't even know they possessed. I thought, and we've seen it time and time again with Arsenal that they can be very pleasing on the eye under Arteta, but when things start to go against them you almost expect them to fold, but to, you have to give them credit. But, you know, they were given a massive, massive helping hand by just, yeah, just really, really poor, poor decision-making combined with, you know, a glaring lack of spark and guile and, and creativity in that team. And a huge chance for Liverpool at the very end of the game, John. And I'd imagine commentary-wise, you're looking at that and thinking that there's some great line coming into your head about how Liverpool have nicked this late on. He he'd squandered an absolute, you know, opportunity. 1-0. I mean, look at the start of the game. You're thinking 1-0 wouldn't be that great at the end of the game. You're thinking 1-0 will be amazing, aren't you? What happened to Minamino there? It's one of those that basically summed up the game, isn't it? Because he's seen the ball come down. He's tried to get on top of it. And, and it's just bounced up a little bit on him, hasn't it? Listen... He's tried to keep it down. He's, you know, he's not tried to miss it, but he, he's just not quite been able to get on top of the ball and and just guide it home. But that sort of moment just summed up the way that the game had gone. We saw the the drive across goal when Ramsdale's got walkabout as well. That's been returned in, and and Firmino's waiting for a tap in. Ben White dives in the way, uh, but for for Taki Minamino, listen, no one can criticise him because it's his goal that got Liverpool through to the semi-final, you know, with that brilliant late finish against Leicester at Anfield. And you thought he was going to do it again. And, and, and it, yeah, there were times in that second half, and, and I like what James said there, what, what Jürgen said as well, that they tried too hard. They tried to force it too much at times and, and, and just lost their, their method and the way that they do things. 
you looked at the options that were available, you know, with, with players that were unavailable, and it, and it just didn't work for them here. Listen, it's one of those things, isn't it? Arsenal were always going to have to show a bit of backbone and a bit of resilience because they got belted after that performance at Nottingham Forest in the FA Cup. So they had to show something after that. And they, and they did. And they, they stuck together. But they were asked to do one thing in the game by Arteta. That was to defend and stand on the edge of the penalty area. Don't go too far forward. Don't you know let Liverpool have any space. If we can break away downfield, we will. But if we go and break downfield, we'll go with Martinelli, Saka, not even Lacazette, really. So the game will be different at the Emirates because Arsenal obviously have to uh, come out a little more and be more adventurous. Heading out of Anfield, the majority of conversation was about something that you've written about, James, which is the lack of Mo Salah and, and Sadio Mane. And actually, I don't suppose you know them missing really explains this performance because there's a lot of other elements there. But you know, it, it it does raise the question: how how do Liverpool cope with this month as a whole without those two? Yeah, and I think you know the, probably the the biggest concern at the minute is what will there still be on the line when they come back? That's the big thing for me. It's down to those that are still there to ensure that Liverpool are still competing on all fronts after the Africa Cup of Nations. And um, that's why it's a big few weeks. It's you know probably going into January, we looked at the fixture list and thought, well, actually, do you know what? It's relatively kind in terms of the tests Liverpool have got without you know two of their absolute elite players. But it hasn't exactly got off to a, to a flying start. So yeah, it's you know at the minute it doesn't look like there's going to be reinforcements. You know, it's um, you know I think a performance like that obviously reignites the debate about whether there is sufficient depth, whether there has been sufficient investment in the squad. You know, you go back to last summer, you know, someone like Zerdan Shakiri wasn't replaced. Was he? the argument was well, you know, we've got someone like Cade Gordon, a, a very talented young player coming through. Which I think you know we saw enough last weekend against Shrewsbury to know that that's right. But again, you know, he, Klopp obviously felt he wasn't, he didn't back him to make an impression against Arsenal last night. So he's you know, he's still so young and has got so much developing to go. And then of course, you know, the lack of a Wijnaldum replacement, where you think, you know, an, another midfield option, you know, if you know that that would have come in very handy last night. So yeah, it is definitely you know it's 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 one of those issues that will, will keep on coming up when Liverpool serve up performances like that. But what I would say is that team last night, as we touched on earlier, that's probably the strongest League Cup lineup Klopp has ever named. And um, that was more than good enough to beat Arsenal. You know, it, it should have been. Just too many players didn't deliver on the night. But you know, at the minute, with the AFCON guys being away, with Thiago, you know, him being out, and Origi as well, it does mean that when you look at that bench, it doesn't exactly scream options to you. When, when, when you're looking for people that are going to come on and, and change the course of a game. And that, that is an issue. You know, I, I think that's why Klopp has to look to do something different against Brentford on Sunday. You can't, you, you know, I, I'm sure he would have freshened things up anyway. But I think a performance like that, it's certainly the balance of the midfield has to change. I think I saw enough from Curtis Jones in 25, 30 minutes last night to think he should certainly start the game on, on Sunday. And I'd, I'd have Oxlade-Chamberlain in there from the, from the off as well. I, I think you have to try something different because... That just didn't work. What's your thoughts, Brad, is on, on squad depth and any need for, for reinforcements? Did, did it highlight anything for you? I, have, I, I love football because um, I love the difference you can have in opinions. 
I love JP and respect him immeasurably. I thought Curtis looked really, really rusty last night and, and his passing wasn't as sharp as, as it, and I thought it was the same at the weekend. And, and obviously he's coming back from that, that awful injury. You know, what seemingly was an innocuous eye injury turned to be to being a, a pretty serious injury. And, and I know him, he himself has spoken of the concern he had, you know, day to day early on after suffering the injury about the uh, the pain and the bleeding that he had uh, behind his eyes. So he's done very well to come back from that. But, of course, he, he missed a lot of time out on the, the training ground with the rest of the players. So he's got to catch up on that. He's missed a lot of game time as well. So he's going to be an asset for the second half of the season. And, and so, too, you know, it's great to see Harvey Elliott very close to being back to, to first-team training as well. But, you know, they are the players that, that Liverpool need to step forward now. Uh, Shakiri, who would have been the sort of player that Liverpool would have looked to bring on in, in that game against Arsenal uh, to try and open the door is it, long gone now. Wijnaldum's long gone. So it's time for the next generation to to step forward. And hopefully they'll be able to do that. Kate Gordon at the weekend started, uh, you know, his, his what you feel is going to be a long and successful football career. And that's the way Liverpool are, are looking, you know. Football isn't about untold riches for for 99.9% of clubs. So, you know, when you do have these brilliant youngsters at your disposal, you've got to use them wisely and uh, and get the very best out of them. And that's exactly what, what Jürgen Klopp and his uh, staff are trying to do. Have they put a timescale on Elliot coming back? No, no, they, they haven't put a timescale on Harvey Elliott. But he is, to my knowledge, he is very, very close now to being being given the green light to return to full training. So he was, he was working to a, a four to five month rehab program I think the kind of the best case scenario was was mid-January back in full training so so we're nearly we're, we're pretty much there at the minute aren't we so um yeah I, I think as long as there's no setbacks we should see Harvey Elliott back training with the team very shortly and then I guess you know after four months out you know you, you need to give him the chance to get up to speed don't you so I imagine he'd probably need a couple of weeks to get in a position where he's you know he's probably match fit and able to contribute but yeah, I think that that would be a massive lift for everyone to see Harvey Elliott back out there because you think to yourself, you know, funny enough, his, his dad was, was sat just, just a few seats along for me at the game last night and you think, watching that, it couldn't help but think, you know, Harvey Elliott could have made a big difference to a night like that. Yeah, massive. Um, look, the second leg's a week away. What, what do Liverpool need to do different? It seems obvious, doesn't it? Will, will team selection change? What, what's going to be the key, key factor at the Emirates? Strangely enough... I actually really fancy Liverpool still to go through in the tight because um, as much as the away end were having a party after the final whistle last night and chanting about their imminent trip to Wembley, I think it will actually suit Liverpool going away and Arsenal having to show a lot more ambition than they showed having gone down to, to 10 men last night. I think that that was why Liverpool were better against 11 than against 10 because it was there, there was space to operate in that suddenly disappeared once they parked the bus with 10 and and we know you know on on home turf Arsenal will have to come out and play and we know you know that should help Klopp's team so i, I think i'd say it's a 50-50 shout but i you know it's you know clearly Liverpool have to do a lot of things better you know the the quality from wide areas especially has to be better the you know the passing has to be a lot more, a lot quicker and and more, you know, more progressive in terms of not taking the safe option each time. But yeah, I I, I still think, uh, you know, I I still fancy Liverpool to go on to Wembley. 
We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. James, we quickly move on to, to Sunday and, of course, the, the Premier League back again. So Brentford is next up. And yeah, look, we've had lots of time to, to think of Liverpool still within a shout of catching Manchester City. And I don't think it convinces any of us at the moment, does it? But we just want to see if we can get through this January with something. Yeah, I think um, it would be stupid to throw the towel in and, and, and give up on it. Yet, you have to be realistic in terms of the form that City are in compared to, to Liverpool's current form. And if there, there is going to be some massive fight back in the second half of the season in terms of in terms of clawing back that deficit to Man City, then it, it has to start on Sunday. You know, certainly there's no no margin forever. Liverpool are going to need to put together, you know, the, the kind of run of 12, 13 wins in, on the spin that, that City have just recently pulled off. So, um, so, yeah, plenty for Klopp to ponder, I think, in the next couple of days. Options pretty limited in terms of, um, you know, what he, what he can and can't tweak to the lineup, but you know, I, yeah, as we said before, I'd like to see Oxley Chamberlain and Jones come into the side for the weekend. I think probably makes sense to play Simicus. He's fresh and I think I think you need to use those those fresh legs and and, and probably Canate as well into into the back four with the quick turnaround from, from Thursday night to Sunday afternoon. So um yeah I think we, we saw enough from Brentford didn't we in the in the game there at the, at the start of the season to know how dangerous they can be. You know, they've been an absolute breath of fresh air since their promotion to the Premier League. But it will be a very different type of game to Arsenal. You know, I think, you know, Brentford do like to play. They will give you opportunities. Um, but as, you know, as they showed in the game at their place, you need to defend properly because if you don't, they, they, can, they can do some damage. Let's have a quick word and article. You, you've written, James, about um, Alex Tekshira. Uh, it's a shame that we've lost Bradders for a second. It's a shame because he's an expert on uh, on Shakhtar Donetsk and Ukrainian football and all that. But you've written a great piece on The Athletic at the moment about the first player that Klopp had in his sights in uh, in Tikshira. Um What was the circumstance and what happened? <laughs> yeah, it was probably a name that has kind of disappeared into you know, barely probably not even a, a footnote in the in the Klopp era yet you know how different things could have been because um he was the the player targeted to be the first big kind of statement signing of of Jurgen Klopp's Anfield reign way back in you know Klopp's first transfer window in charge in January 2016 as you said Steve playing for Shakhtar Donetsk he'd been a prolific goal scorer there you know had won I think he'd been part of five title winning teams during his his spell there having Having made the move from his his native Brazil, and he was the the player that Liverpool 
pursued heavily. Ian Eyre, the chief executive at the time, flying out to Florida where Shakhtar were on a, a winter break uh, training camp. But, um, you know, I think as Ian Eyre found out with Kono Plyanka's uh, club uh, in Ukraine that they it's they can't be, they're not the easiest people to, uh, to do business with. And um, despite, I think it was £24 million Liverpool's offer, you know the uh, the Ukrainians dubbed their heels in and said no, he's he's going nowhere unless you pay thirty eight million pound, not a penny less. And then Liverpool decided that that was just far too much for someone who I think at the time was twenty six. You know, uncapped for Brazil, obviously hadn't ever really done it in one of the major European leagues. And um, you know, from what I was told at the time and since, you know, that was a that was a collective decision from the what was then the, known as the transfer committee that Klopp was on board with. And, you know, Tashira's career went in a very different direction. I'm sure, you know, I think I think when you look at what happened with Liverpool, of course, you know, they kept their powder dry till that summer and, and ended up buying Sadio Mane, which, which didn't prove too bad a bit of business. You know, that was the same summer that they, you know, they, they flirted with trying to sign Mario Goetze. And, um, you know, I think Julian Brand was another one high up on their list that summer before they went for Mane. But... Um, yeah, I think probably the regrets belong to Tashira because he ended up going to, to China a week after the Liverpool deal fell through, earned a crazy amount of money. So, um, you know, his bank balance was massively enhanced. I think he was on a basic of 200 grand a week during his time in China, of course, at a time when the Chinese Super League was throwing money around like confetti. You know, five seasons over there, scored scored a lot of goals over there. But of course, in going over there, he he relinquished the chance really to, well, to certainly to ever play for Brazil and ever to to compete and win the biggest prizes in in European football. So um, so yeah, he's he's actually back in Europe at the minute. He was a free agent for a fair chunk of of twenty twenty one after you know the Chinese club he he played for actually went out of business. Um, so he's at he's at Besiktas. But um, yeah, not pulling up any trees, just turned 32. And there's talk about Besiktas maybe moving him on in the summer as well. So um, so yeah, a bit of a, I guess, a bit of a sliding doors moment there very early on in, in the clock reign. Really good read. Uh, Bradis, I think we've got him back now. I hope we have anyway. You're our Ukrainian football expert. How, how good could... Uh... Is it Tikshira or Tashira? Give us the, give us the pronunciation. Tashira. I think the thing worth remembering about Alice Teixeira was that at the time he was one of the most in-demand players in, in world football. Shakhtar Donetsk had been very, very successful under Maciej Luchescu and along with Teixeira and Douglas Costa, they had two players who you knew were going to get big moves to Western European clubs. We'd already seen it, of course, with Henrik Mkhitaryan as well. Uh, who Liverpool have been linked with as well. So you knew these players were coming through and they represented the best value for players in world football at the time. Coming from the Ukrainian league, we had the same with a couple of players from the Russian league as well. But the biggest problem was is that everyone knew about them. And at the time, of course, the Chinese Super League had, had just launched and, of course, they were throwing money around right, left and centre. So once Liverpool had shown their hand, I think that, that Shakhtar knew that there would be money coming in from from China, just as we saw with the likes of Hulk and Axel Witzel, who went to China from from Zenit St. Petersburg. So Teixeira had a decision to make, didn't he? You know, he's this sparkling mid-twenties winger. He's not been capped by Brazil. He has the chance to go and earn untold riches 
in China or make the decision to, to come and play in England. And I think it's worth saying as well is that he saw himself being a figurehead for a new league, you know, almost being the yardstick for what they wanted to be and the sort of player they wanted to attract. Um, and so that, that swung it in his favour. It may have cost him a little bit of international recognition. It certainly didn't cost him financially. And he did well out there. He scored a lot of goals. He was successful. Of course, his club folded. And now in his 30s, you know, his, his time has gone. But at that time, the football he was playing both in, in the Ukrainian league and more so, I think, obviously, in the Champions League, which is where you made your name back then. Shakhtar were a wonderful team to watch. They, they had a team full of, of brilliant players. Fernandinho, of course, went to Manchester City and, and has been outstanding uh, in that Manchester City team, not, not just as a player, but also as a, a real leader uh, at the club as well. Uh, and Teixeira could have been that. Douglas Costa maybe never quite lived up to expectations as well when he went to to Bayern in his time at Juventus as well but uh, yeah it's very much a case of, of what could have been for Alice Teixeira well worth reading that piece that James has written at the moment there's also some stuff on the Athletic at the moment about Philip Coutinho's move to Aston Villa can he make a success of that one under Stevie G thank you very much uh, for listening to today's Red Agenda not the most positive uh, of pods particularly after that performance last night but of course there is that second leg to come and the Brentford game so we'll see you next week on the Red Agenda <laughs>